0: Welcome to the Valley Church. Our mission is to see changed lives, and we hope this relevant teaching inspires you to take the next step in your journey. Thanks for checking out the podcast and enjoy the message. Well, hey, everyone. Uh, I'm Pastor Mark from the Valley Church, and uh, we are kicking off a new series today. And this series is our Easter series. Is that not hard to believe that Easter is only about three weeks away, I think? Uh, maybe four weeks from today. So it's a four-week series. It's going to culminate on Easter Sunday. But the series is entitled, Where is the Lamb? Where's the Lamb? The Bible talks about lambs uh, all throughout. Uh, In fact, Jesus was called the Lamb of God. And so this series is going to be a really unique perspective. You're not going to want to miss any of the weeks of this, and I think you're going to want to invite some people to join with you as we explore the Easter story from a very different perspective, and we're gonna actually look at it through the totality of Scripture, starting in Genesis and Exodus, like I'm going to today, and then continuing to go throughout uh, into the New Testament um, story of the crucifixion and resurrection of Christ. So uh, I think all of us, I know I learned a ton over the past couple weeks just studying for this sermon, in particular some passages that I had read many times before, but God kind of revealed some really uh, fascinating things through that. So uh, sit back and enjoy. I think you're going to really enjoy this series. Uh, when I was a kid, one of the things I really liked to do was to put puzzles together. Um, it's something my grandmother and I would do when she was in town. They lived out of state, so it was only you know, a few times a year. But uh, I really enjoyed it. It was kind of neat to uh, see this picture on the front of a box, of this beautiful, whether it be 250, 500, or one of those thousand-piece puzzles or more, beautiful picture, and then go piece by piece, and, you know, get the edge pieces, of course, and then fill in from there. And, And I don't know about you, and you can do a thumbs up if this is you, but right when you get that final piece, I mean, some of these puzzles would take weeks to complete. That final piece that you put in there. And boom, right? It looks exactly like the box. It's everything you kind of hoped it would be. It's it's so beautiful. It's it's an incredible uh, accomplishment, but it's finalized. It's, it's complete. And so um, as we look at, it made me think about this as I was studying the text this week and putting the sermon together. What we hope to do throughout this series is to fill in those missing puzzle pieces, those questions that you might have about well, why did Jesus really need to die? Like, why, why did he? Why did he have to die? Why do they make such a big deal about? Why does the Bible make such a big deal about him being sinless? Why did he have to be sinless? Wasn't there? Couldn't there have been God's? You know, incredibly creative. Couldn't there be been some other way other than Jesus dying on a cross to be made right with God? Why did God choose that of everything? And so. Today, we're going to start unveiling the answers to that question, or those questions. Maybe for some of you today, putting that final piece in the puzzle, that it will finally click, whether you're a follower of Christ today and and just maybe have had some doubts or just are hungry to learn something new, or maybe you're watching today, someone invited you to join us for this series, and uh, you have a lot of questions, a lot of faith questions, a lot of doubt a lot of skepticism, uh, even some anger or frustration at God, uh, that's okay. Frankly, we're glad you're with us. And I think through today and then the next couple, three weeks, uh, God's going to really reveal himself to you in a special way. So hang on, hopefully, as we put this together. We're going to dive right into scripture today. We're going to be in Exodus, and we're going to be in chapter 12. And I'm going to read the 13 verses of this. This is what we would term as the Passover or the first Passover story. Uh, as God tried to free, it was in the process of freeing his chosen people, the Israelites under, who were under captivity by the Egyptians. So let's just dive right in. You'll see the verses on the screen as I read them. It says, the Lord said to Moses and Aaron in Egypt, this month is to be for you the first month, the first month of your year. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. If any household is too small for a whole lamb, they, shall, they sh- must share one with their nearest neighbor, having taken into account the number of people there are. You are to determine the amount of lamb needed in accordance with what each person will eat. The animals you choose must be year-old males without defect, and you may take them from the sheep or the goats. Take care of them until the 14th day of the month, when all the people of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. Then they are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and tops of the door frames of the houses where they eat the lambs. That same night, they are to eat the meat roasted over the fire, along with bitter herbs and bread made without yeast. Do not eat the raw meat or cooked in water, but roast it over the fire, head, legs, and inner parts. Do not leave any of it until morning. If some is left till morning, you must burn it. This is how you are to eat it, with your cloak tucked into your belt, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. Eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover." On that same night, I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn, both men and animal. And I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. This is fascinating, actually. And then what's going on here is God is calling Pharaoh to release the Hebrews. As I mentioned earlier, to release them from captivity. And God's put this plan in place, and He's talking to the people, and He's saying, Here's what you have to do you must sacrifice a lamb. A lamb must die, and you're to take that blood, put it over their doorposts, and then that will ensure that I will pass over, and no one in that house, the firstborn male in that house, will not die. Well, as we continue to read the account, I'm just going to jump to verse 23, and you'll see it where you are too. It said, When the Lord goes through the land to strike down the Egyptians, he will see the blood on the top and the sides of the doorframe and will pass over that doorway. And he will not permit, this is interesting, he will not permit the destroyer to enter your houses and strike you down. Notice that. He will not let the destroyer enter your house. In other words, the only way, get this, the only way to keep the forces of God's power from taking out life is a lamb. Is that not fascinating or not what? Just a lamb. The lamb, the blood from that lamb is the only thing, the only thing that separates life and death in those households. Now, hold that thought in mind. We've opened up, obviously, this series into the title what? where's the lamb? So we open up with the Passover and the Passover lamb. I want to then go back to Genesis chapter 22. We are in Exodus 12. We're going to go back to Genesis 22. This is a story that if you've grown up in the church or been around faith for any period of time, you're probably familiar with. It's the sacrifice of of Isaac with his father Abraham. God calls Abraham to sacrifice his one and only child. Now, before I get into that story, I just wanna share a little bit about that culture that's so much different than our culture today. We live in an incredibly individualistic culture in the West, and specifically in America. It was so different in that first, uh, back in that period of time in ancient history. In that period of time, the family unit was everything. Uh, the family the family unit collectively was honored together or experienced shame together. In other words, your success, and this is, will really mess with us Americans, your success was not measured on an individual scale. It was never considered that way. It wasn't like, oh, you rise this way and the rest, of, no. Everything was so communal, everything was so familial. And so, in our culture, if you have someone in your family who makes some really poor decisions or brings dishonor, uh, that usually doesn't equate to our whole family. We say, "Well, that was a that that's my you know relative, and they did this stupid thing," uh, but you know that's not who we are. or Whatever that would have been, that would not have been the case in the first century. Your success was based on family success, not on individual success. Failure or shame was not on an individual scale; it was communal or familial. And so, also in that culture, it's so important to understand that the firstborn inherited the estate. The firstborn received everything. Actually, uh, multiple times then, throughout Genesis and Exodus, God says very clearly that the firstborn is his. The firstborn is his. It's something that you see throughout Scripture, In other words, what God is saying is the firstborn or the first of everything, not even the first child, but the first of everything is God's, unless you redeem it. Actually, it fits even with the sermon last week talking about the first fruits and what Pastor Cindy talked about, about giving and about tithing. But the first of everything was God's. People in that ancient culture would have understood that. And the only way then that it could be made right was to redeem that to God. In other words, all the hopes, all dreams were embodied in that firstborn. However, the reality was that this created a debt. Every family was in debt to God. God had authority over that firstborn, or the first of everything, frankly, in God's eyes. And so to not redeem that was holding back from God. God. And they would have understood that your life is forfeited unless you are redeemed. Unless there's a redemption process that happens, unless there's acts of redemption that occur, your life can be forfeited because, get this, it's already God's. You follow that? It's God's. Everything was God's, and the only way you could get it back or to have ownership of it was to ask him to redeem it. And so, it changes the, the context of this Abraham and Isaac story fundamentally. So when, when Abraham's walking up the hill with Isaac, and God's called him to sacrifice his firstborn as an offering to God, we obviously struggle with that, and I get why we struggle with that. And, but we don't totally understand everything going on, but Abraham would have. See, to Abraham, God was now calling in his debt, Abraham knew that. He knew that he was in debt to God. And that's something I want to continue to come back to is that theme of debt. He was indebted to God. He was in debt to God. And the only way, and it was because of his sin, the only way would be a redemption sacrifice to be made right. And obviously, Abraham knew, based on what God's telling him, that Isaac is going to be that redemption. Isaac is going to have to die because of Abraham's sin. It's so so different than how we think. It's so different than what we're used to, although you're gonna see by the end of this, nothing's really changed from God's perspective. See, God was calling Abraham to do something that God had a right to tell him to do. God said, these are already mine. Isaac is already mine, I have right to him. He's my creation, he's on loan to you. And we get to the story, in Isaac, and just imagine this. Can you imagine this? Abraham's walking up this hill. Picture this in your mind. And he has Isaac with him. And Scripture tells us in, in Genesis 22 that he starts preparing the fire. He gets the wood out. He starts the fire. He has all the different things there. And Isaac speaks up and makes a really good statement. He says this. Isaac The Bible says this. Isaac spoke up and said to his father Abraham, Father Yes, my son, Abraham replied. I see the fire and, and the wood. They're here, Isaac said, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? Where's the lamb? Where's the lamb? Where is the lamb? And Abraham replies in the next verse, in verse 80 says this, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on up together. Now, I imagine that as they continue this walk after this conversation, Abraham is, with all his hope and with all his prayer, is asking God and pleading with God to provide a lamb, to provide some other substitute, to to provide so he doesn't, because he knows he has to pay. He knows he's indebted to God. He knows that God is perfect and holy, that he is... Sin. He is full of sin. He has sin in his life. That he's a sinful person, even though if he's been forgiven, but he has sin. And that the only way to be made right is through a sacrifice. In other words, Abraham is saying, I hope that God provides a lamb so that my lamb doesn't have to die, so that my son doesn't have to die for my sin. Now, I think we would have some rightful objections as we're processing this together, right? You know, you might object and say, well, does every single person actually have a debt to be paid? I mean, does, is it really true that every single person has some type of judgment? Um, why can't I just choose what's right and what's wrong? Why is it such a big deal? Why? How does God have this right to do this? I I have my rights. I have my choices. Well, let me put it this way. God just can't forgive without a payment. The reality is God can't forgive. There's some debt and there's a payment that has to take place. Now let me put it in human scale. This might make more sense to you. If someone really wrongs you, there's a debt to be paid, right? I mean, if someone really wrongs you, 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 can't, you can't fix what was taken from you. Maybe it was financial. Someone robbed you or someone stole from you. Maybe it was something someone else did to you. But any, all of us who are watching today, myself included, obviously, have had someone wrong us in, in, in significant ways for a lot of us. See, so you, you just can't ignore it and the debt takes care of itself. You can't just wish it away and the debt is gone. The reality is this, ever think about this? The reality is, is that either you make them pay for it or you forgive them. And there's all kinds of ways that we can make people pay for it, right? We can ignore them, we can treat them harshly, we can, you know, do all kinds of things to them. Right, And and what we're doing is we're trying to make them pay the debt. We might not know be able to articulate that, but that's exactly what we're trying to do when we try to make them pay the debt that's happened. And Scripture even tells us that's a horrible way to do it because it's only going to lead to frustration. It's only going to lead to just an emptiness. And even if you don't believe the Bible, you say, well, yeah, I've tried that, and that's kind of how that works. See, the alternative is... To forgive someone, I don't know if you ever knew this or maybe understood it this way, but to forgive someone is that you're paying down the debt yourself for them. We've said it many times around here at the Valley Church. When you forgive someone, it's not for them, it's for you. And so when you and I choose to forgive someone who's in debt to us, indebted to us because they've taken something from us, they've harmed us or hurt us in some way, when we choose to forgive we are paying down that debt for them. And that's how the healing, and that's how the restoration, that's the only way. Until that debt is made right, there's always going to be a wall in between us, right? Until we... Either totally forgive that person and authentically give forgive. And you know when that happens, when you know that you've forgiven, when, it also, when you see them or hear their name, or when, when something comes to mind that you don't get all tight inside and clenched and angry or whatever, that's when you know. You know within your heart, you know within your mind, you've eradicated that wall of hostility between you and them. You've broken down that barrier that has existed. We even know this when it comes to criminal behavior. Think of some most horrific, you know, rape, murder, you know, if the judge were just to let that person go free, that guy's not gonna pay, society's gonna pay. I heard someone say it that way recently and they're so right. We would say, well, that's not, that's not, you can't do that, you can't just let him go because if he doesn't pay the price if he doesn't pay the debt, we've even heard this, his what? Debt to, yes, society. Then society will pay that debt because he or she's gonna get put back out in society, which means there's a high likelihood that there's gonna be greater hurt, greater harm, greater payment from society at large because this person has not been put away from society to pay the debt that they owe. See, whether you believe the Bible or not, whether you wrestle with this idea of Jesus dying on the cross for sin and there had to be some other way in your mind or whatever, I think you would always agree with what I'm going to say here is that someone always has to pay. There's always a price for a debt. There's always a price. Someone's going to have to pay, someone through either imprisonment like I said that debt they have to pay through forgiving people and paying down that debt or even by taking that wrongly and 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 holding against someone to try to make that debt right and so because of that human element that we I think are coming to understand I hope I understand that debts have to be paid God has every single right to call this debt in every single right to call for the debt. But notice in this story in Genesis 22, at the very last moment, God says, nope, Abraham, you're not gonna have to pay the debt right now. And he provides a a ram. And the story story goes, he gets the ram out of the thicket. He sacrifices the ram. But notice, a ram is not a sheep, right? A ram, even though it rhymes, is not a lamb. So fascinating. Where's the lamb Where's the lamb? This story's a cliffhanger from Genesis 22. It's a cliffhanger for hundreds of years because there was no lamb that was actually sacrificed. Let's fast forward then a little bit. Actually, right before I do that, let's go to Exodus 12:22. He says this, Take a bunch of hyssop, dip it into the blood in the basin, and pour some of the blood on the top and on both sides of the doorframe. Not one of you shall go out of the door of this house until morning. Now we're we're at that original Passover in Exodus chapter 12. Notice what he says, don't go out of your house. Don't go out of your house. The destroyer, and here's what's fascinating, the destroyer is not just coming for the Egyptians. He's coming for you too, if you don't follow what I ask you to do. You're not any better than the Egyptians. This is one of the things about the Bible. People if you struggle with inequality in our world and 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 think that followers of Jesus are not for equality, I'm, not, I'm, I'm saying Jesus followers based on what scripture says. This is one of the proofs. Scripture, the totality of scripture, God shows that he is the ultimate equalizer, that every single person is the same in his eyes. And he's saying this to his chosen people, the, the Israelites and the Egyptians were horrible. The, the pain, the suffering, the beatings, the, the, the hurt that they poured on, on these people, put them in slavery, was horrific. But yet God's saying to them, you're no different than them. You're no more special than them. If you come, you're protected by the blood of the lamb over your doorpost, but if you come out, you will pay the same price as these Egyptians if you don't listen to me. See, what had to happen that night was there had to be a substitute. In every single house that night, and this is terrible to think about, but in every single household that night, death occurred. Either there was a lamb that died, or there was a firstborn that died. Every single house in, that, uh, in Egypt had death in that one night of human history. See, there had to be a substitute. There had to be a substitute See, the lamb paid the debt, so the firstborn did not in this encounter. The lamb, the blood of the lamb, paid the debt so that the firstborn did not. In fact, the store, they would then take that lamb and cook that lamb, as I read earlier. Can you imagine this? Sitting around the table later that night, and those kids, the firstborn male, specifically in each family, looking at that lamb on the table... And realizing in that moment, if that lamb had not died, he would have been dead. If that lamb had not paid the debt to God that he owed, he would have been the one no longer with us. Now, what's really interesting is this. This story ends with them being saved physically. There's no spiritual salvation to them in the Passover. The debt was paid to spare their life, but the debt wasn't paid to deal with a greater sin issue. So I want you to journey with me as we close up today. I want you to journey with me to Jesus' last night on earth. And there's another Passover. They would celebrate annually this Passover I just talked about from Exodus chapter 12. And anytime they would celebrate this at the Passover, you would have someone who's the presider. And the job of the presider was to share the story behind the story, explain the meal. Why are we doing this? What are we remembering? We're remembering that God's faithfulness of releasing his people, the Jewish nation from captivity and his, his faithfulness over generation after generation. And then they would expect him to say that this, and they would hold up and say, this, bl- this bread is the bread of our affliction and it represents our ancestors' affliction in bondage in slavery. But in this time, he's saying, this bread represents my affliction. This is the bread of my affliction. And there was things in this Passover that were very similar. They had the unleavened bread. They had the bitter herbs that were mentioned earlier in the Old Testament passage. And they would have had the cups of wine. But there was one thing fundamentally missing on the table of this meal. And it was a, yeah, lamb. And I'm sure the disciples spoke up and they said, well, Jesus, there's no lamb. I cannot, it, scripture doesn't record this, but you know they would have, because there's no reference to a lamb. G- Jesus, where's the lamb? There's no lamb on this table. To which he would have said this, and this is a, my biggest key point today. There's no lamb on this table because the lamb is at this table. You see, at that Passover, it was a night unlike any other night in human history. The lamb of God was there for once and for all. See, the first Passover never took care of the sin issue, never took care of the spiritual depravity, never took care of the the chasm between us and God. And notice in Abraham's account, the lamb never appeared. A ram did, but a lamb never did. That debt was still there in that sense. But yet, Jesus arrives. In fact, early on in in his ministry, when things started to become public, it was John the Baptist who said, Behold the Lamb of God for the substitute or to take away the sins of man. You see, There was this time, this is what we remember during the Easter, especially leading up to Good Friday, when God walked with Jesus up a hill, very much like Abraham walked up with Isaac. And there was wood at the top of that hill. In fact, there was wood being carried on the back of Jesus himself. And God walks up that hill with him. But things are different this time. There's no one to say stop like there was when God said, stop, stop Abraham, and provided a substitute of a, of a ram. There's no one to stop this. There's no one saying that this is going to be different. God's walking up that hill with his son to a cross. Why did Jesus have to die? Why did Jesus have to die? It's a very simple answer. There's a debt that had to be paid When sin entered this world, ladies and gentlemen, when sin entered this world, there was a debt that had to be paid. And God created a way for that debt to be paid. And it was through the shedding of blood. It's always been through the shedding of blood. We all come to a point when our debt has to be paid. We have to realize that we have a debt, the debt of sin that can never be made right on our own. It's such a serious issue, such a big deal. It affects every fabric of our being. And then God ultimately provided his son, an unblemished lamb, a perfect lamb, a perfect substitute so that our price could be paid in an amazing way that did not cost us our life, but did what? It cost the life of Jesus Christ. You see, at some point god's going to return and there's going to be a debt that has to be paid and if we have not accepted the penalty for that debt if we have not accepted christ into our life as the substitute for our sin then the final debt the final payment will be eternal separation from god because we chose that not because he's an angry god but because we chose that you know one of the ways one of the reasons i serve god is is because he didn't just say he loved me. It's one thing to say that I love this, or I love that, or I love my wife, but it's a whole different, and you know this if you're married, it's a whole different ballgame when you do it tangibly, right? When you show that love, when you demonstrate that love. The Bible says, and God demonstrated his love for us in this way, that yet while we were still sinners, Jesus Christ died for us. See, this isn't made-up stuff. There's no way. There's no way this is made up. Why? Because God showed his love. There's so much evidence, and we'll talk about that in subsequent weeks, to prove that Jesus Christ died on that cross for you and for me. We're going to close today with communion. And... Early on today, hopefully uh, you grab some bread, grab some juice as our host had mentioned to you, as Jessica mentioned at the onset today. And here's what I want you to do. We're not gonna receive this together. I'm not gonna, I'll, I'll lead us into it a little bit, but I don't want you to receive it right now. We're gonna go into a song as we continue with our worship service today. And that song is entitled Death Was Arrested. And there's a lyric in that song, a phrase in that song that says this, he canceled my debt and he called me his friend. When death was arrested and my life began, he canceled your debt. When he was with his disciples, he said, this is the bread of affliction. And it's not gonna be the affliction that we remember of the Israelites from centuries ago. This is the bread of my affliction. And this represents my blood. And my blood's gonna be shed because there's a debt to be paid. And I'm willing, I don't want to, I've asked my father, I'm gonna ask my father, God, is there any other way, but I'm willing to fulfill my mission on this earth to go die a death on a cross as the final substitute so that the debt can be erased for those who choose to put their faith in me. So as we sing this song together, as the band leads us in this song together, You do business with God. Maybe you need to ask him to erase that debt for the first time. Maybe there's sin that's come into your life and you need to ask him again for forgiveness. I don't know what it is. But you do business with God. And then when you're ready, you receive the elements. You remember his body that was broken for you. You remember his blood that was shed for you. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, God, I pray that you would meet each person right where they are right now, in their living room. Maybe they're in their car listening to this on a, as a podcast. God, maybe they're with a group of people doing the Valley at Home. God, wherever they are, maybe they're laying in their bed on their laptop watching this. I don't, it doesn't matter you or where they are. God, I pray your presence in every space in this world that's hearing this message right now. And God, that they would have an interaction with their heavenly father right now. God, that you would speak into their life, that they would hear your voice so crystal clear. And God, that there would be response after response after response to allow you to come in and erase the debt so they can be set free. In Jesus' name we pray that, amen. Thanks for joining us today. To stay up to date with our weekly messages, make sure to subscribe and follow us on social media. You can check us out on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, or download our app to stay connected with all things the Valley. And if today's message impacted you, share it with a friend, because changed lives, change lives.